Shut up and sit down. like to remind you if you have questions for me and you're in the chat room to double click on my name and ask the question that way instead of doing it in the chat room because the chat room moves really fast and I probably will not see it. I actually thought of a topic. Actually, I didn't think of a topic. That was going to be a big, huge lie. It's not my topic. I was on the phone with Lady Holder, and she offered me a list of topic suggestions, and I picked one from that list. So I do actually have a list of topics that I could, you know, explore in the future instead of just talking about whatever the fuck comes to my mind when I get on the air, which is actually likely to happen anyway since... I haven't even mentioned the topic yet, and we are almost a minute in. The topic tonight is the character of John Shepard, who um, is on Stargate Atlantis. There are actually two characters in Stargate Atlantis that were on every single episode of the series, and that is John Shepard and um, Rodney McKay. I'm not sure if they were actually contracted that way. There are a couple of episodes where you barely see one or the other, but they are in every single episode. So who knows? Anyway, I always say that Rodney is my favorite, but I tend to write from John's point of view. I would say, like... 85% of the time, I write from John's point of view, which is interesting that I still continue to say that Rodney's my favorite. But then maybe it's because Rodney's also John's favorite. (laughs) Me and John have that in common. But uh, that's uh, that's what we're going to talk about tonight. One of the most interesting things about John's character is um, the utter lack of development on Stargate. We see so little of his history or his motivations. Um, we know precious little about his character, so in fan fiction, he's really easy to open up and explore and expand on in a way that sometimes Rodney isn't, because Rodney does have a lot more canon details um, for you to deal with or dismiss or overlook or, you know, to try to move your reader away from when you're writing about that character. Uh, We know that John had a brother named David. His father, his name is Patrick, and they were estranged when he died. Um, we know that he has an ex-wife named Nancy. We know that he disobeyed orders in the Middle East and was punished for it, and that several people died. We don't know what his relationship to those men were, um, beyond the fact that they were 
part of his base or his unit or whatever. Um, some now, see that's the thing, Zandris. Um, she's saying in the chat room, I thought John was was in Afghanistan. Originally, it just said the Middle East on his um, profile, and then it got changed in one of the episodes to Afghanistan. But then it was also referred to the Middle East again. In, in a different episode. So it's, the canon is iffy on where that happened. If you accept that the show only is canon, then it's probably Afghanistan, but it might not be. Because, you know, the last thing that the, the last thing that the uh, writers on Stargate Atlantis were was consistent. And that's the truth. Uh, Regardless, in the original concept for John, his father was military. In the show, his father was an industrialist. By the time we hear anything about Patrick Shepard, he's... um, some sort of businessman industrialist and there's money um whatever um originally i believe they said he was the son of an army general he was that that his father was army and when i wrote um wrote him i wanted to give his father a military background but i really didn't want to use Army. So I picked Navy, yes. Uh, I I considered Marines as well. Um, But I think that um, depending on the branch that you put Patrick in, it it definitely changes um, the relationship with John a great deal. Because if if you imagine uh, a Marine raising... John versus a Navy man raising John because, you know, canon speaking, John admits in an episode that he doesn't have more rank because he's lazy. That's not a man raised by a Marine. It it really isn't. <laughs> That's not, no. Um, but uh, what we... Um, So what we got character treatment-wise before the show actually began was more interesting than what we got from the show. Uh, So, you know, there's that. I I like to play around with John's background, the reason why his his father and him are estranged. And, And in several different AUs that I've written, I've changed um, his branch of of the military. In Ties That Bind, he's a Marine. In what might have been, he's Air Force, which is about the closest canon as I get. Uh, In Lantean Legacy, he starts out Air Force and um, ends up a part of his own
his own military force. Lady Holder saying that Stargate um, Wiki says Afghanistan, and that's true. And even his character profile originally, that was originally out as part of MGM's website for Stargate, uh, said Afghanistan. But then at one point it also said just generically the Middle East. That's the problem. Of course, also uh, on that site, there were lots of errors on that site when it came to... Well, not errors. What happens is is that they put together the characters that were going to use for the show, and MGM built these profiles with, with this information and never changed it. So for like two or three years into Stargate being on TV, there were these profiles that didn't actually match the characters. Because I remember seeing one profile, I think it was on MGM, where Rodney's middle name was um, Ingram. Right. Um, And we didn't find out that um, Rodney's name was actually Meredith Rodney McKay until... uh, the, the, The profile was gone by then, and then I don't know if it was... What that was, but what that had, what that started out is, is that Rodney wasn't originally supposed to be on Stargate. They were going to have a character named Doctor Ingram, and David Hewlett actually auditioned for that part. And then they were like, "Oh, we'll just recycle Rodney and stick him in there from Stargate SG One, from when David Hewlett appeared on SG One." So originally, McKay wasn't part of Stargate Atlantis. It was a character named Doctor Ingram, and um, they moved it around and changed it and we and we got Rodney which was great but i have a lot of problems with the uh character development on Stargate for John number 1 that he has the rank that he has and professes to be lazy Number two, there are instances where they've written lines that are supposed to be funny that make him out to be the worst officer possible. Karen says, um, couldn't that also just be a way for him to deflect saying he's lazy? No, I think it's bad writing. I think it's supremely bad writing on behalf of, on the part of the people who um, wrote wrote those episodes. They, I don't know, it's just ugly. It's just ugly. And the fact of the matter is, is that someone of that rank would have more pride in themselves than to call themselves lazy. And he certainly wouldn't call himself lazy to someone who is actually under his command, because he says this to Ronan. It's it's not as infuriating as the scene in that episode with the all-girl team when Anteldi 
introduces her team to her commanding officer, and he had no idea who they were. He let a whole team of people leave Atlantis, and he had no fucking idea who they were. That's bad writing. That's an implication that he has absolutely no business whatsoever being in charge of an entire base. And it's not... You could you could try to assess stereotypes and playing down to, but that implies that the writing for these episodes is actually smart, and it's not. It's not smart. They're not cap- There's no layering there. There's just bad writing, and actors making the best of it. Also, I think that. There are too many majors on Atlantis. I know that Teldy and Lorne are there at the same time. And I don't know if the contingent of people, military, actually on the base support that much of an officer corps. Because you've got a colonel, two majors, probably a handful of lieutenants. So the structure is, is, is not good. Because they got this commanding structure like you've got a couple of hundred people under him when that's not true. Yeah, Lady Hilton says it's, it's way too hop-heavy, all things being equal. And that's true. I, it, it really is top-heavy as, as, as far as the officer goes. But, you know, I also think there were too many colonels in the mountain with Stargate SG-1. Because there was, there was Maypeace, there was O'Neill, there were a couple of other ones. And then, of course, later on in SG-1, they put two lieutenant colonels on the same team. That's not how that shit works. I mean, that really isn't how that shit works. It really isn't. Anyways, there's <laughs> enough bitching about that. But the fact of the matter is, is that as a character, John is really interesting, um, despite um, the lack of canon information that we can explore. And that's great also because, like I said, you don't have to um, worry too much about uh, – making your readers forget canon that you want to ignore. And sometimes it's very difficult with a strong character like McKay. Um, I think that in the case of McKay, sometimes it's very difficult to write him differently. Like, you know, for me it was easy to change um, John's military branch and to change part of him or move him around, but it is very difficult to do the same thing to Rodney. Like, I'm not sure I could change Rodney's career too much. I just don't know what I could do with that because it's really... um, No, I couldn't. I mean, I couldn't make him... He's a scientist, right? I, I, 
Maybe maybe I can make him a musician. I, I, I don't know. Um, there's just some things that are very ingrained. Um, yes, Lady Holder says that I do have one in my um, in my evil author days where he's, um, but he's ex-Canadian military and he's still a scientist. Uh, and I did that because in one of in um, the episode, uh, Mrs. Miller. The Mrs. Miller episode, uh, Rod, the other McKay, is actually in the military. Um, but he was still a scientist. Still a scientist. Um, when it boils down to it, did I write him as a teacher? When did I write him as a teacher? Karen, are you getting me mixed up with somebody else? I think you're getting to make me mixed up with somebody else. I don't think I've ever written him as a teacher. If I have, I've totally blocked it out. Oh, right, but he was still a scientist. He taught astrophysics, which isn't the same thing as being an elementary school teacher or a high school teacher. He was a college professor who taught astrophysics and had a PhD in it. But it isn't quite the same. It isn't quite the same. I, I couldn't write him as a kindergarten teacher. God, those kids would be so traumatized. It would be bad. Oh, I just had this terrible AU idea for kindergarten cop. That's just not, that's just not good. Karen, you should be ashamed of yourself for that. Okay, Chris asks, What aspect of John's character do you like to play with most? I like to play with his emotional development the most. Because in 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 Ken he's very stoic and he's um disenchanted with life and the world and, and even Atlantis to some respect. He's he's kinda jaded. In, in, in canon, so I so I like to turn him around and move it so that he's having to face his he has to face his his uh, his emotional attachment to people. I like to rearrange his childhood so he grows up being someone very different, like in my story the air that angels breathe, John grows up with a very supportive, loving father who who took on everyone to keep his son. And he's so accepting of John. John grew up so loved that he's very sure of himself. He's he's very sure of, of who he is and, and what he wants. And there's a line at the end of when angels breathe the air the angels breathe, where he tells Rodney that no one, no one basically in the universe deserves Rodney more than John. And he totally means that. He totally, totally means that. And so that's very interesting to, to, um, to play with. And another episode, another version of John where he's, got a very supportive father would be uh the the ties that bind in the ties that bind um Patrick Shepard 
took care of his family. He was a very good dom. He took he he loved his children. He took very good care of his family. He made sure his sons had the training they wanted and needed the most. Um, so when they entered the world as adults, they're not um, they're not unprepared. And and John fell in love very young. And as he got older, he came to realize that that relationship wasn't exactly a perfect fit. But he loved Jared, so there was no question of him not keeping that relationship. And then he lost Jared. And so when you meet John in in Ties That Bind, he is a man who's basically a, a widower. He lost someone he loved a great deal. And he... He comes in and saves the day and rescues Rodney from evil Carter and, you know, and and takes him home to Atlantis. And if you, uh, and he falls in love. He falls in love so easy, so easy. And it's, he's comfortable with it and he's, He's pleased, and, he, and he's really happy for himself, maybe a little bit worried that, that Rodney won't return his feelings. But he's also pretty confident of himself sexually and as a dominant. And so even if he hasn't, at that point when he admits to himself and eventually to Rodney that he's in love, um, he's not worried that Rodney's going to go anywhere because he knows he's knocking it out of the ballpark when it comes to the sex. And he's not afraid to use that. He's totally not afraid to use sex to keep McKay interested until he can get McKay invested emotionally. And so, and that's a different kind of John Shepard than you normally see. And what might have been, you have a John Shepard who is very much shaped by loss and war because he went off to Pegasus and he came home with half the expedition, and he's very much a bug. The erratus DNA in John is much more active in what might have been than in any other story that I've written. He is... I have a scene... Hello? Kira? Hello? Kira? Okay. Can anybody see me or hear me? Okay. Can anybody see me or hear me? Okay. That's a little bit weird. I can't hear Kira, so I have no idea what's going on, but... um. Hmm. Echo, echo, echo. Lovely. All right. And yes, Senna, um, uh, hubby is home. He's he's helping around the kitchen, doing stuff. Sorry about that. Sure. I uh, I just got disconnected for some reason. It just went it it went away. So I turned your your mic on <laughs> to, 
to fill the dead air, but then I realized you couldn't hear me telling you that you were on the air. Um, yeah, we we figured it out. It was a little bit weird because all of a sudden I had been on mute because himself was doing stuff in the kitchen. So, uh, all right, apparently you can hear the kitchen. Um, he's making spaghetti sauce, guys, homemade from scratch um, sauce, and it, it takes some stuff. So... It takes yeah, some stuff. It takes a lot of stuff. She once listened mm-hmm. stuff to me. It was a lot of stuff. Now I forget where I was. I was actually on a row. I was talking and I was staying on topic and oh, boom, it was, life um, happened. It to was. Me. Yeah, I know. It isn't a wonderful thing. Um, you were talking about a um, scene that you have with John and the Erratus Bug and how oh, oh. close under the surface. Okay. There's a scene that I've written, and I'm not sure where I'm going to stick it, but I'm definitely going to stick it somewhere. And it's not like the one where I made everybody cry, and I'm sorry if you're in. Well, I put that in mini headquarters or rough trade. I put it in rough trade. Huh? I know. So sorry. It's what? um. I don't think it, it. He's he's griping at me because I bought mashed potatoes instead of uh, having him make me mashed potatoes. So, yes. Oh, anyway, okay. Hush, time to hush his face. <laughs> time we're on the radio. Anyway, so, um, where was I? See, now I'm off topic again. It's that I know the scene you're talking about, or at least one of the scenes you're talking about. Um, oh, the scene with Rough Trade. I have a scene on Rough Trade that someone kind of um, asked me to put up, so I did. And people cried, and it was. And I'm sorry, mm-hmm. not really. Not really. Actually, I'm not really sorry at all. Um, so anyway, there is a um, scene that I've, I've written, and I don't know where I'm going to stick it, but I had this idea. Sometimes you have an idea for a scene, and it just kind of pops into your head, and so, and, and so you write it down, but it really has no place. And... Um, so I have a scene, and Sebastian has, uh, he's in a situation where for the first time basically since um, John and him connected, uh, he's, he's outside of the family, he's isolated from them, and he's, he's in a great deal of danger, and um, there's no one there to help him. And um, there is a, uh, a I'm gonna, it's probably going to be the remnants of the trust have basically taken a building that Sebastian is and they're holding him hostage. And they have a shield around it. And there comes a point during the conversation when Rodney has to ask John exactly how human he is. And this is a question they've never really had because Rodney has no fucks to give. And he knows that John turned into something on Atlantis. And he knows that it was bad. And he does not give a shit. John could have come home blue and Rodney would have still been all about it. Okay? So, anyways, there's uh, a scene where John admits to Rodney that it's terribly unlikely that this that that the shield will will hurt him. And so 
they have some devices that they're going to use to push through the shield, and but it's going to be terrible. It's, it's, it's going to be a really terrible, painful experience. And in the end, um, John goes first and Tilt goes second. And uh, they get through the shield. And throughout this entire experience, Rodney has a monitor on John, and he throws everybody else out of the place where he's at um, because he's watching. He doesn't his want anybody husband, to see anything. Right, he's watching his husband kill, and John's heart rate isn't even elevated, John's and heart he's rate taking is down at rest. Right, all the time. Even in mm-hmm. high adrenaline situations where it should be racing, it's not. And so here is John, who's basically mowing through people to get to his kid. And Rodney comes face to face with the fact that that not only is John not particularly human, he's pretty close to being a sociopath. And so that's the scene in in what might have been that I've hinted at before. There are parts of what might have been that hint at it that you don't see. Because John John really isn't a sociopath, but he's close. Because he has loyalties and he he loves. So so he's not mm -hmm. a sociopath. But if you're not his family and if you don't belong to him one way or another if you're not a member of his team a member of the of the battalion underneath him as as a soldier if you're not part of him then you're you're, you're another bug on you're you're a bug on the windshield um right I mean, the the thing is is it, training covers so much it it allows you to um to handle and chunk to the side the the what you just did Okay, it allows you to get through the whole process. It does not mean that your autonomic functions, which is, you know, heartbeat and respiration and, you know, all the things that mean that you are moving, okay, um, are going. I mean, they, most your body of the U.S. military. Yeah. Your body responds to stress. Good stress, bad stress, physical stress, emotional stress. stress your stress. body responds. Yeah, and most of, most of the U.S. military is not um, those nice monks who can sit naked in the middle of a snowstorm and come out with their, temp- their body temperature up. Um, but it's, the thing with, with John Shepard, at least this John Shepard, is um, he's got his emotions and there's, there's, it, here's right from everything I've read. It's a very definite. If you're not one of mine, or you know, by extension, one that I can claim, you're a bug on the windshield. And the best way to put it is um, that scientist uh, CEO who um, contracted Simon Green, I believe it was, to um, kill Rodney. John had yeah, that's pretty much going in there. Yeah. And feeding John him to a, a race. <laughs> mm-hmm. And the thing is, is John slept that night. Not a problem. And the John in what might have been went to sleep that night. Not a problem. Okay. He, the mental, 
the mental connection for not so much guilt as as second guessing himself not there you know it's and chris is saying that he's not uh, you know if you're not part of the tribe um i'm willing to bet it's more counted as separate species if you're not military if you're not one of Rod, uh, one of John's scientists in the mountain, you're you're not his, and so. I think it. When I wrote it, it was more like I was giving him a nesting mentality, and if you're not part of his nest, then you don't count. Now he's not going to yeah. go out and kill people randomly. He's 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 he's, he's not that guy, and no. he does consider the protection of Earth his responsibility, but mostly because his nest is on Earth. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And the people, the people he wants to to um, to protect are on Earth, so you know um, that's that's what he's going to protect. It's it's a nice, convenient place to to keep everybody safe on. But know? if his nest so, were to move to say Atlantis, then his all um, are off. territorial imperative would change because mm-hmm. he's he's. He's not human. The John yeah. and what might have been is not human. And I, I went to make that clear when I talked about him not being able to procreate naturally with a human woman. That basically his offspring would eat a human woman from the inside out. That's just lovely. Ick. Not not like literally with teeth, but like um, the offspring would drain her of nutrients to the point where she could not survive to give birth. He is not human. No. He just looks it. Do you remember V? Yes. Do you, do you remember but, the, the, the birth scene? But, where? Yeah, but not quite like that. <laughs> no, I he know couldn't that, peel but... John's skin off and get blue. It would It, it would be red underneath. <laughs> I know, but, you know, that's... Um, oh, well, the baby kind of just sits up in V. There was an old yeah. alien invasion show called V on in the 80s, and this girl hooked up with one of the aliens, and they and they looked human, so she thought they were human, but they weren't. And it wasn't... Yeah, it, it was a fairly disgusting... You know, no, Rowan, his sperm is not toxic. Come on now. Um, that would not Considering be how often he and, and Rodney bareback it, I don't think there's there's toxic, any toxicity there at all. Um, yeah, <laughs> but what I was trying to say is, you know, um, the the what would what would be the result of any pregnancy if it managed to make it to term would in no way, shape, or form be human. You know, no. um, which is why the baby that is going to appear. Um, they couldn't actually make one with John. No. Because John was actually exposed to um, two different Three things different that made it two that 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 made oh, him a bug. Okay. First, he was exposed to um, a juvenile queen. Mm-hmm. And she grabbed his no. arm, and I don't know she. That's the only time you see. I don't know what that means because when he was expo- when it, when he was exposed to what was that Carson's? Um... Well, there's the 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 Erratus in episode two, thirty eight minutes. There's... And then the queen bite. 
then there's the queen problem and the massive dose of somehow, some way that he got of the retrovirus and was Todd before or after Bug? After. Okay. I believe. Really? Yeah, because the Bug thing happens pretty early on. Karen's saying after. I don't know. We should look that up. Um, I'm looking. I'm looking. Because I thought, okay, when does the bug thing happen? I thought it happened first season. Does it happen second season? Well, the erratus happens the first season. Right. Um, and then we have um, Instinct, which is, is – uh, immature queen conversion is this is second season by the way um instinct happens season two and then conversion happens right after and then we have um let's see it's got to be season three then that we have the co- uh crazy crazy batshit janai guy so the but so john turning into a bug happened before todd Yes. Okay. Uh, Sarah is saying that Todd is um, season two Common Ground. Is Common Ground before or after? Common Ground is, as far as I know, after Crazy Bug Bitch. So, uh, so when John turns into the bug, my my thought was was that because he was exposed to both the Queen and the Erratus, that his experience was different. And then when they got on Earth, what they were experimenting with was a pure Erratus. Um, DNA strain. They don't have access to the race or queen. Right. So they couldn't reproduce what John was, and they couldn't mm-hmm. get John, and they can't clone John, and they couldn't get John to mate with a woman mm-hmm. one way or another. And it just would not happen. So what they right. did was is they took the next best thing, which is Matt. Right. And from, from what I've got here, it's um, there's at least several several months between conversion where he turns into a great big blue bug, the brush up against Ascension and Epiphany, and then about probably a couple of months later, we have Michael show up. And Epiphany is right. the one where he spends six months in the um, uh, time, you know, time dilation place. Karen's asking me a question in private about Matt. Sure. Matt doesn't get taken. Matt's DNA got stolen before he ever came to the mountain, before he knew he had to pay attention to who took his sperm or his blood. He didn't know any better. And a Navy doctor took it under orders, and it was sent to Area 51. And there is an excerpt on Evil Author Day where you meet Matt's son. Mm-hmm. And he has um, he has a radish DNA, which goes and over about as well as you Alexander. Expect. His name is Alexander, and um, that's on Evil Author Day, right? No, no, not that I know of. Are you serious? Because I thought that was on Evil Author Day. I think you just blabbed. I and just that blabbed. one is all on. Uh huh. It's there. It's on Evil oh, Author Day. Echo honor, found it. Honor and Valor. You're right. Honor and Valor. Sorry. Oh, uh, what do you mean to me? Anyways. 
Excuse me. I can't. I, I mean, really. So, anyways, <laughs> that's John and what might have been. He's um, he's not quite human. Yeah, he he wears it well, but he's not quite. And let's see. It was honor, um, honor and valor for for those in the chat who are saying that they don't um, remember. It was it was on Evil Author Day, and there's a link up at the top. Echo just Mm -hmm. posted a link about it. Um, Anyway, post the link. Um, Okay, there it is. And there's a, a there's something very nice interesting that happens in this um, in this part of um, Ring of Fire, which is part two of what might have been, is that Sebastian's gotten comfortable enough with the family to start showing his ass, and so <laughs> he he's not happy to be sidelined. He's going to be an asshole about it. He's going to be an asshole about his dad's leaving Earth and, and, and going on the Phoenix to um, Pegasus. He's he's put on a bright face and a good face about it, but he's going to be an asshole because he's a kid and, and, and that's what kids do. And um, he's also a famous kid, and he has to, um, when he's in public, there's a lot of pressure on Sebastian, especially after his father's leave, for him to put on a good face and to act like everything is okay and everything is fine. He's not worried because it isn't just his grandfather watching him or people in the mountain. It's people all over the world that are watching because they're all waiting for John to come back with Atlantis to keep them safe. And so Sebastian really isn't allowed to look nervous or upset or worried in public. And this is a situation where he's having to put on a patriotic front in public, when he'd rather just say, fuck all y'all, I'll, I'll, I want my dad, go get him and bring him home, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. And so, and then there there comes a point when um, the Ori attack Earth. And Shepard and McKay have been gone longer than anticipated because Atlantis wasn't um, nearly as ready for flight as they hoped. As they hoped. And it took longer to repair the star drive than McKay and, and anticipated. And so five months out from their departure from Earth, the Ori come. And eventually, um, and if you go into the Rough Trade Facebook group, um, there's, there's actually in the file section, there's a uh, file you can download uh, that has a scene from this episode of Ring of Fire. And it's going to be the last episode of Ring of Fire. Uh, where uh, Sebastian has to defend Earth using the chair in in Antarctica because he's the only one who can. Because in what might have been after John sat down in the chair, it never worked for anybody else. And since John and Sebastian basically have the same ATA gene, they hope and pray that he'll be able to use the chair. And what happens is not so much the chair recognizes him, is that Atlantis herself recognizes him. Because one of the reasons why the um, chair doesn't work for anybody but John is because Atlantis influenced the chair. Because Mm -hmm. she didn't trust people on Earth. 
By the way, my 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 uh, daughter is a really really evil girl because she starts putting in song lyrics for the Ring of Fire. <laughs> Great. Well, I named it after Johnny Cash song. There's no there's no denying that. I know. And so no. Atlantis recognizes John's son in the chair, and yes. John and Atlantis are in route to Earth when this happens. They're in hyperspace or whatever they call it. Um, and Atlantis recognizes his, his son in the chair. And Theseus brings out uh, the idea of using the wormhole, the wormhole drive, which, which is canon. Mm-hmm. And but Rodney didn't want to use it because he was afraid it might hurt Atlantis. But then they realized that the situation is so bad on Earth that Sebastian's in the chair, so it's going for broke at that point because they realize if they don't get home now, there might not be a home to come home to. So yeah. while they're trying to get home, Sebastian is um, faced with the reality of war, and he, um, well, frankly, he kills a whole bunch of people. Using he's the a chair, he, and 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 he's a baby, he's a kid, he's 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 ten years old, and the the fate of the world rests on his ability to do this, and so he does it, but he's going to pay for it for the rest of his life. Mm-hmm. And when John, and so in the scene, which you can read on Rough Trade, like I said, it's it's in the file section. Um. When Rodney apologizes to John, he's not just apologizing for the fact that he's put their child in this very dangerous situation. He's apologizing because their situation degraded so much that he allowed Sebastian's childhood to die. Because Sebastian sat down in that chair a child. He did not get out of that chair a child. No, he didn't. And so there's um, that apology that Rodney gives John before that recording ends is layered. It's, I'm sorry this happened. I'm sorry. I think we're going to die. I'm sorry I did this to your son. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry I I wasn't smart enough. So, Mm -hmm. what? I I figured out where what happened and where you hid stuff. <laughs> There's a scene. I, okay, in the scene, I said that if you've watched um, SG-1, then you know exactly where Rodney and Sebastian are. I know exactly where they are. So, because um, they're in the ancient outpost, and so it, you if you know, if you've watched SG-1, especially the episodes where they found originally found the ancient outpost, then you know exactly where um, Sebastian and Rodney are. And I do believe in happy endings. And I swore to myself after I killed that child in The Awakening that I would never kill another child character ever as long as I lived in anything I wrote because it destroyed me. I cried for for, for over a week and um, had nightmares. (laughs) <laughs> just just to be yeah. perfectly honest, I had nightmares. And no spoilers, Rowan. No spoilers. Shh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let everybody figure it out all on their own. If they can't, well, they can wait for it to be read and read it. 
So, you know, there is – and honestly, Rodney had no choice. It was nope. either let the Ori take over Earth and kill thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people, millions even, mm-hmm. um, or put his 10-year-old son in a weapon and deal with the consequences later. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's... Just because you can say at least he's alive. Yes. The the Ori in your your AU is probably quite different than the one that I have in mine where, um, well, they bombed some of the major cities and that was, you know, at at that point pretty much it. You know, who knows what yours are going to end up doing because I sure as hell don't. Um, but it's, you know, it's, it's one of those things where, unfortunately, um, war does not respect, you know, who you are, um, what sex you are, what your, your, um, if you're a civilian or if you're in the military, you know, if you're there and you're in a position to, frankly, to be useful, it'll suck you in. It's, it's, war is... In all ways, horrible. Yeah, so. Um, yeah. And that particular episode is probably some of the largest character growth that any of the shepherds have. It really is. So. It may not be anything that he particularly wants, but unfortunately it's it's the reality that he's going to have to live in and they're going to have to deal. Yeah, because he's not just doing this in front of the SGC. I don't know if it's clear to you, but there's a part where Sebastian asks um, if somebody can hear him and Sam's talking to him and mm-hmm. he asked her who's listening and she says everyone, but she talks about the president but the fact of the matter is, is everyone is listening. It's not just the, the president of the United States. The, the whole world is listening. So, so the whole world listens to this, this, this child. Destroy himself. Not destroy himself, but destroy his childhood. Let go of an innocence mm-hmm. that you can't get back. No. Because Sebastian is a strong kid, and he's, he's a lot more... He's just more. Um, mm-hmm. In the first episode of Ring of Fire, you find out that Sebastian not only ascended during the car accident that he had with his mother, when they returned him to Earth, they didn't take back everything they gave him. It's a little difficult to lock that particular door. And... The, if I remember correctly, that's um, that's the one where he heals um, Quark's belly, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, do you want to go back to talking about John and, and character development or what? <laughs> hey, well, okay. I told you I'll keep you on track. 
<laughs> I was going to, I have a list of, um, where did my list go? I had a list of my stories and I was going through them one by one. Um, I, I done ties at Vine and, and what might have been and the air, the angels breathe. And, um, mm-hmm. Well, the John and Lantian Legacy. Let's talk oh, about the John oh. and Lantian Legacy. The, <laughs> the John in um, Lantian Legacy is is one that's been um, abandoned repeatedly. Mm-hmm. Um, in, first by his family. Maybe it's in a mutual abandonment, um, falling out. Then well, there's if you're, if you're going back with the um, the thing that you've got in your version of canon with with the argument um, with the family, then yeah, there is some of there's some mutual you know die for the the, the doors there. So, but yeah, and then Sorry. you know he's he's tossed down to the end of the the world for doing the right thing. Um, mm-hmm. Then there is uh, the trip to Pegasus and abandoned yet again by mm-hmm. his home world. And so here's a John who um, has developed a family on Atlantis, and he is rabidly protective of these people because for the first time in a very long time, he's not been... Um, He's accepted. These are his he's, people. They, they're his. They're his family. They're not going to leave him unless they die. And, it, and Atlantis is working on making that pretty impossible. Um, mm-hmm. And she, uh, he's very well, attached is, to Theseus, yes. to and, and Atlantis, and he's very attached to McKay. And he's made this family and he's this this world for himself and. Earth doesn't know what kind of fresh hell they would catch if they if they mess with it. Mm-hmm. And what he doesn't know, and what he will find out, is that I've told you repeatedly that um, basically Atlantean legacy is in its own way an AU of, of, of what might have been, um, mm-hmm. and that's true across the board. Uh, <clears throat> is this going to be news to me too? No, which oh, means okay. that Sebastian is on Earth. Sebastian is on Earth, and John is eventually going to find out. He'll meet Sebastian when Sebastian is seven, uh, 15, 15, 16. Uh, um, 15, and Sebastian, 15, yeah, he's been um, taken by the NID. Um, and that's the whole thing I'm going to play off the pretender, where he was raised by the government, basically, um, after the age of nine. Um, they killed his mother and kidnapped him. And... Um, mm-hmm. He breaks free, and um, so that, with that the, happens. With some, yeah, we, we had a couple of different um, scenarios that we were playing with with that to uh, describe what caused the break free and, and why things were going the way they were. And if I remember right, I've got like, from what I remember, four different scenarios. Yeah, yeah I, I played around with a whole bunch of different things, and, and what I eventually decided on um, is that, 
one of the reasons that I had so many different, we had so many different things is I wanted a different Sebastian than the one I got in, in, in what might have been. Um, and the Sebastian that you meet or you will meet in Lantian Legacy is jaded. And, angry. Uh, angry, yes, but not really at his father because his father didn't know he existed. And, and, and Sebastian's aware of that. He's... Um, He's jaded. He's 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 angry. He's um, he's manipulative. He uh, literally has no he's fucks a, to give, and he's, he's a killer. Yes, he's exactly what the NID raised him to be. The problem is, is they didn't expect the weapon that they designed to turn in their turn hand and and do all sorts of interesting things as it sliced and diced. Because when he escapes. He turns around and blows up the facility that was keeping him hostage and salts the earth. Mm-hmm. Yes, he does. And you know, so... There's mm. the, the From that particular point, there were, like, I think two different things we were working off of, two, two different scenarios that caused the escape... Um, Yeah, too. And I have no idea how much you want me to um, go into it. So the thing is, is I I wanted a Sebastian who um, was invested in himself, who had to turn around and be invested in someone. And I knew it had to be something big, something unexpected. And what I ended up doing, I don't want to tell you, because it'll be a spoiler, but they're going to give him something that he can't help but love, and then they're going to take it away from him, and the results are going to be catastrophic, and it will be bad, and John will have to come for him for more than one reason. One, to keep his kid alive, and two to keep his kid from killing a whole bunch of people. <laughs> so it's a double edge. It's like, you need to come get me or I'm going to start killing people. Yes, that, that's what's going to come out of Sebastian's mouth. Um, and um, yes. Let me salt and, and, and salt the whole planet. You know, I will so salt will ever the earth, grow. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. So let me, you know... It, Honestly, the level of fucks it is and give is, oh, yeah. Sebastian's very black and white in Atlantean Legacy, and I'm, I'm looking forward to writing that character that way. And um, the best part uh, is that um, John in Atlantean Legacy will be uniquely qualified to take care of, of this kid because he's just as black and white. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he is. I mean, he's a soldier. He um, he's a general. He leads an um, an, an, an army. Um, whose Given main purpose? Abilities. Whose main purpose in the in the universe is to uh, commit genocide? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Their goal is to kill yeah. all the race, and that's genocide. Yeah. And he's all about it. And um, he's perfectly happy he, to do it too. And he'll be um, he'll be he'll be he'll be 
you'll have an easier time dealing with Sebastian than the John and what might have been did. Yeah. Well, he's also mm. going to have an advantage over the John and what might have been because he's also got um, the abilities that Theseus has given him um, that allow him to, even if he's not actively hunting down um, Sebastian's mood, whatever is basically shouted across the, the ether, um, he's going to be able to feel and, and hear it, if you will. Casey, you were so. missed part of that because you had to reboot your um, browser, I think. Um, Sebastian won't make an appearance in Lanthian Legacy into Book 4. Five, I thought. Well, there will be a couple of scenes of Sebastian in Book 4, and in Book 5 right. um, will be Sebastian's book. That's the one. You're That's gonna, the one we You're going to find to out get. about, right, yeah, we we always plot it when we start talking about it. Um, the reader finds out about Sebastian in Book 4 of Lanthian Legacy. He'll be 15. Mm-hmm. And John finds out about Sebastian in Book 4. Now, Book 3 is written. Book two is a problem, and book three needs to be rewritten because <laughs> of what I did in book one. It was terrible. Oh, my God, I'll talk about it. Okay, mm-hmm. so anyway, Sebastian um, Senna says, is John going to be able to not kill people when he finds out what happens? No. John is going to come to Earth farmed <laughs> for bear. Him and Atlas and a whole bunch of really pissed off space marines are coming to Earth to get his kid, and it is not going to be pretty. It's going to be ugly really ugly. Yeah, it's... um, From what I remember, the the level of... And this is the last time we we plotted anything about this because it's been at least a couple months. um, The level of of unhappy that will be expressed is... um, it's going to be it's going to be very interesting to watch how that's going to hash out. Okay, because, because John's going to um, be faced with a son he didn't know about, who was basically mm-hmm. um, kidnapped from his mother, who was murdered by the NID, who was raised um, in a very pretender-like fashion, if you know what that means. That, that and there's mm-hmm. a called pretender, where he was raised from a child um, to um, be a government tool, basically. And mm-hmm. Sebastian um, was basically raised as a tool, as a weapon. And um, it's, John, it's not going to go over well. John, at this point, is already quite furious with most of the governments on Earth because of what happens in Book Three. Mm-hmm. And in Book Four, what what happens in Book Four? In, in Book Four is actually worse. Mm-hmm. It's terrible what happens in book four. Yeah, that one I think I remember. Cinna commented that it's going to be a red-letter day in the House of Shepherd. Um, (laughs) It very well uh, may be a red-letter day in the House of Shepherd. That that is for certain. Um, Actually, I think it's it's going to be the closer thing is going to be like sitting on the inside of a thermonuclear bomb right as it goes off. Boom. Boom. (laughs) Yeah, 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 so... Yeah, there is, um, Sebastian does have a best friend, uh, potential love interest in the uh, kid 
Ascended Ancient that 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 was on SG One and um, or somebody like that. What was his name? I don't remember, and I'm I'm on something, so I can't go look. Orlin, his <laughs> his um, Orlin. his ancient name was Orlin, but when they put well, Orlin basically disappeared because he mm-hmm. uh, he lost himself um, mentally. He tried because to, he yeah he he brought too much back, and so he'll have a different name when you meet him, and and he'll be quite young. He'll be Sebastian's age, and um, you'll find out that the NID took him from. The nursing home, basically, where the SGC dumped him and put him in a, a sarcophagus. Mm-hmm. And when he woke up, out. he was um, sound mentally, but a child, but basically an infant intellectually. So they um, they trained him and educated him, and then they introduced him to Sebastian. Casey's asking if it's Daniel's stepson. No, it's it's not. Um, Khufu. Oh, not Khufu. Um, That's Khufu. No, Orlin is the ancient that deascended himself as a plague. child to help the Ori plague. Mhm. And during the middle, um, during the end of that, he um, he lost everything. Because he brought too much back with him, and his human brain couldn't handle it. So basically, he ended up with some kind of weird dementia, where he forgot everything. And they dumped him in a nursing home, and, you, and, they, and they never mentioned him again. Again. No, it's, just... it's terrible. It's really ugly. Mm-hmm. Uh, Which brings me to another point. I'm going to bring this up. I don't often mm-hmm. do because it really irritates me. 100 days. Mm. Yeah, right? There's an episode of SG-1 where Jack is stuck on another planet for 100 days. And he has a relationship with a woman. Mm -hmm. And at the end of that episode, they leave you with the implication that he left his lover of all those days pregnant. Now, this is a man who's buried a child. What is the likelihood that he's going to go back to Earth and never think about the child he fathered on an alien planet ever again? Something close to nil and and falling. (laughs) Anyways, anyways, that bothers me a lot. Like, stab some writer in the head bothered me, okay? So I'm I'm going to let it go. I'm Mm -hmm. I'm pushing it off. I'm going to let it go. I'm going to let it go. One. Jack clones, same way. Let it go. Because mm-hmm. the Jack clone makes me so mad. Mm-hmm. Karen this says that her thought was that she never told him. But she asked him for a baby, and so he they had to stop using whatever protection they were using to make the baby. Mm-hmm. He had to know the possibility was there, and he never goes back. Nope. Ever. Mhm. Yeah, it's um. That is that's a season. I don't remember what season that is. They imply that he's going to visit that planet and retire there, but he doesn't actually do it. He goes to a trust-controlled planet to go undercover. 
Uh-huh. This is right. That's, Anyways, I know it, 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 it irritates the shit out of me, okay? It, 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 it really does. But I'm going to let it go. Mm-hmm. I'm going to let it go. Okay. Um, Keep letting it go. Claire asked about the John and Big Gay Love in Canada. That is an, <laughs> an, an evil author day excerpt, and it's actually the story I write on when I'm really pissed off about something, which means I'll probably write on it later since I'm pissed off about 100 days. Anyway. I found it again. I've been writing on and off of it for about, I don't know, five years. And um, I don't know if it'll ever be finished. She keeps teasing um, me with it. It's horrible. Yeah. I only write it when I'm mad. And it's full of snarky, horrible stuff. And um, I love it. The John in in, um, Big Gay Love in Canada, he... He meets McKay and he falls in love, and 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 he lets himself fall like a ton of bricks, and he has uh, oh. no interest whatsoever in even really denying it. Um, despite the fact that it'll get him court-martialed if he gets caught, John? he's just he's so in love. He's so in love, and when Rodney decides not to go to Pegasus. John says, fuck it, I won't go either. <laughs> and he retires his commission, and they go off to Canada and have big gay love, and go. And John finishes his degree, and he doesn't really want to teach, but he's going to because McKay's teaching, and McKay doesn't want to teach either. So they're, so they're both there. You know, Mutual unhappiness being, on that particular aspect, but the sex is great, so they're forgiving each other. Right, and, and, they're, and like, they have like this big, huge, epic love, and they have this big, huge, epic cat, and um, so, and and Jack comes and 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 ruins their sexcation, um, <laughs> and and they go to Atlantis and and have their big gay love in Atlantis instead of in Canada, and um, they're just terrible to everybody. They they uh, they go out there. Yeah, they, they also have a big epic TV. Yeah. So they go out there, and Atlantis is fucked up, and everybody is fucked up. And it's just a fucked up situation. So they go out there and just be as – and practice as much assholery as they possibly can. But the the, the main um, thrust of, of, of John's character in this story is that um, he loves Rodney. He he loves him. He's the number one. He's he's his first and second and third thought, and, and everybody else is a, a very distant fourth. You know, so you have um, you have John basically telling <laughs> the entire expedition that if you fuck with McKay, I will space you, and he means it. He really does. He has no shits to give. There would be no repeals or anything, nothing, not a. Don't even bother to try and appeal to his better nature because you ain't going to find one. Yeah, because there is no better nature. Not a hair. But uh, so there's that. There's that's the big gay, um, the the big the big gay love in Canada. Um, and uh, let's see. John in the Sentinels of Atlantis. <laughs> he is a he is a man and, and a and a sentinel who has been um shaped by an overwhelming loss. 
he is the death of his mother when he's five years old is is so mm-hmm. catastrophic to to him as a sentinel that it basically it marks him for life and he retreats and he continues to retreat inside himself, inside his own mind for for more than a deck for two decades basically. It's almost three. Almost, almost three decades. Almost three. Almost three decades. He is yeah. um Evil Author Day is on February fifteenth every year. Mm-hmm. Um, to answer that question, Casey. Anyway, uh he uh Oh, settled in Atlantis. So by the time he meets Rodney, he is so used to hiding practically everything he is that meeting Rodney is like super, super overwhelming, and he has to deal with all the things he's been ignoring. And it's not just his his um, his empathy and and his senses; it's the heartbreak. Of, of his mother's death and his father's um, inability to cope with him. Because John in Sentinels of Atlantis, there's a scene where Andy tells tells Patrick the truth. He says, if Uncle John is like me, he knew you loved him. Mm-hmm. And John did. John did know that Patrick loved him and just didn't know how to deal with him. So John wasn't rejected by his father in Sentinels of Atlantis. Instead, John came to view his father and by an extension his brothers as a reminder of the greatest loss he felt he would ever suffer, and that was the loss of his mother. And so he separated himself from his family and continued to separate himself basically from everybody around him until he met Rodney, and he had no choice but to open himself up to 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 life and to what he'd been missing, which would be um, a guide. Mm-hmm. A place he had kind of, despite how untrue it wasn't, um, or was, uh, his mother was was basically his first guide. And he doesn't want to let her go. And, and and he doesn't for decades. He doesn't want to deal with that. He doesn't want to process that grief. And so, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, now that, that I'm thinking about it, I, I'm realizing um, how much the, this particular uh, information is actually... Uh, influencing what we did for beautiful and dangerous things. Mm, yeah. 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 Absolutely. But, yeah. Um, the other thing about the the about the John in Sentinels of Atlantis is he's if I remember right, he came awful close to being what amounted to a damaged sentinel because of that loss as a child. Right. Yeah. He came precariously yeah. close to it. Uh-huh. 
if his father hadn't loved him so much, and if John hadn't had an amazing amount foundation. of empathy already, if if he didn't have that guy gift of empathy, um, there's every chance that the death of John's mother would have made him go dormant. As it was, it basically put him on deep freeze for 25 years. He suppressed. He suppressed and, a lot. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so the level of there, there's a comment that was that was further up in chat where somebody was commenting that um, Rodney is John's better half, and isn't that a freaky thing or or a scary thing? And yeah, it is. But in Sentinels of Atlantis, um, Rodney's the emotionally mature one. He's still an asshole. He makes no bones about it. <laughs> All right, but of the two of them, he is the much more even-keeled and, frankly, more mentally healthy one because he has no choice. Okay, right, and that's what and that's what happens when you change a fundamental part of a character. Rodney's a guide, and he was trained as a guide. Mm-hmm. He was forced to, as a very young man, to process and accept his emotions because if he didn't he couldn't process and accept the emotions of those around him that he could not control and he wasn't willing to go dormant either which could have happened if he hadn't well you know man the fuck up if, uh, to use the the horrible way, way of doing it yeah. And Karen points out something that um, I didn't mention earlier, was that it is implied in, in Sentinels of Atlantis that upon the death of John's mother, that he developed a tertiary connection to Rodney. Mm-hmm. That Rodney reached out to him. And it speaks more to the spirituality of Sentinels and Guides in the Sentinels of Atlantis, because John didn't know what it was didn't really know what it was until way after he bonded with Rodney Mm -hmm. that he came to realize that the two of them connected as children. And that over and over again, they were actually very close to each other several times throughout their lives, but didn't make the connection. Sometimes they were even in the same building. Mm -hmm. They were in the same airport. They were um, at Area 51 at the same time and, and never met. Because he was buttoned down so hard that he wasn't he was looking outside of yes. And so by the he time he looking outside himself. Okay, so and also you have to keep in mind that when John comes to the mountain, when Sentinels of Atlantis opens, he's coming right off of Afghanistan. He hasn't gone to Antarctica. Nope. So he comes right off. That mission in Afghanistan where, um, not right off, no, not right off, it's, it's been a while, Probably but within weeks. it can't be weeks because of his promotion situation, Days. it's been a while, oh, okay, months, months, years, it's been years, probably, yeah, yeah, it's been years, but he didn't go to Antarctica, where'd he go, I wonder, mm-hmm. see, that's, see, that's the problem when you start something in the middle, and you never look back. Sometimes you don't know what on, happened before. Depending on what would have, what could have happened, given his ability to fly and his his um, status as a sentinel, he probably went to Iraq. 
and was back in the action. Um, this is also, so John comes to the mountain, and he's had another significant loss because Holland and him were very close. They were lovers, mm-hmm. and he's a lot less, um, there's some grief there, and he's not as controlled as he has been in the past. And so when he gets close to Rodney again, that connection that they already have, um, and also the sentinel in him is getting pretty fed up with not having a guide. John might not want a guide. John might be hiding from that. His sentinel doesn't feel the same way. He's about ready to stage a revolt. <laughs> the sentinel inside him wants a guide. The sentinel inside of him wants to be a leader. The sentinel inside him knows he's an alpha. His spirit is coming into the mountain because he was absolutely going to. I lost the sound again. I still have some. I hope somebody. Nope. Um, I don't know what's going on with the sound. It's going to be iffy. If it if it goes silent um, for again, if you're not hearing it, um, refresh maybe. If you're not hearing it, you can't tell me to refresh. And um, I'm actually at this point because of the sound issues. I guess we're going to have to end the show. I don't know if this is actually still recording. It probably is. Um, Very bizarre. Yeah. Um, Okay. Karen just asked me, are you there, Sondland, again? Not sure if you went with it as well as Kira. Um, Yeah. So, okay, refreshing work for everybody and everybody's back. I hope so. Arlena, will you try refreshing again? Of course, obviously she can't hear me, so duh, it doesn't do me a refresh. (sighs) Anyways. Um, Lady Holder, can you hear me? I can hear you just fine. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you fine. (laughs) This is going to be such a confusing cast. Okay. Okay. Um, You know, for those of you on the podcast listening to this, I apologize deeply. Um, Anyways, circumstances and perhaps a little ancient influence I honestly Along think the it way. was the two interfering, interfering agents who, who, you know, refuse to be named, but, you know. Have yeah. made certain that John and Rodney are going to meet whether John wants to or not. And it's not mm-hmm. so much that John consciously doesn't want a guide. It's that he was so hurt over and over again by the loss of his mother and then um, the loss of Holland that uh, he's just... He's not going to reach out again. He doesn't want to, certainly. But it's, it's not like a conscious effort of, I want to be alone the rest of my life. It's more like a it's a uh, self-preservation. Um, as far as those ads and commercials go on the um, page, if you guys are seeing those, they actually pay my bills, just FYI. 
I'm just saying. Sorry, guys. So you're you're stuck with them. Unless you use an ad blocker and then you're not helping me pay my bills. I'm not trying to give you a guilt trip or anything. I'm just saying. Just pack if you use an ad blocker, it. if you're using an ad blocker, then you're not helping me pay my bills. <laughs> you just packed your bags. Thanks, awfully. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Anyways, so John um, Sentinels of Atlantis. He's um. Oh yeah, Xander. This isn't free. <laughs> um, I pay a monthly um, fee for it. Uh, yeah. Anyways, uh, it's not too bad. Um, Forty dollars a month. I'm not paying an outrageous amount because if I paid more, I could have a different time slot. But since I don't pay more, I have to um, pay this one. Take advantage. And if I did it for free, I'd only get thirty minutes. Jesus, really? And what, You're just getting up to steam at 30 minutes. I have too much to say for 30 minutes. <laughs> okay, so um, what's the next? What's the next one? Okay. Um, ooh, where'd it go? Okay. I'm going to go to the standalone stories. Let's see. Um, emotional clockwork. Mm. Um, I I actually count emotional clockwork as one of um, my best stories. <laughs> mhm. I know where Senna wants to go. Yes. Anyway. I know where Senna wants to go as well. <clears throat> we all know where Senna wants to go. Anyways. Uh, emotional clock. Emotional clock work. Okay, go ahead. Um, God, that one. That's one who. That's that's a John who forces himself to grow up. Um, from what I remember the story because I don't have it up right this second. But yeah. He he was skimming right along and quite happily so, and then things didn't go his way and. He couldn't have the screaming tantrum he wanted. He had to grow the fuck up, and it went over badly. So he, this John comes into the story um, with the uh, mistaken belief that he's fucked up because he's in the closet. That's not why he's fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> and not so his, much no. I, I have Thomas in this story. He's a OC that I developed for ties that bind, and and he's a psychologist in in both. And uh, he Good comes to Atlantis as a chaplain. And John starts seeing him professionally, and because he's um, coming to terms with don't ask, don't tell being abolished, and he's coming out of the clo- he's coming out of the closet. And he thinks mm-hmm. that he needs to be in therapy because he's coming out of the closet. And that's what Thomas thinks, too, when it starts, right? Because John's in love with somebody he thinks he can't have. Um, Rodney's a womanizing whore. Uh, and uh, <laughs> John is just like he's, 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 he's in love. He's coming out of the closet. 
and thinks he needs therapy. So he goes to therapy. And it isn't until like three or four sessions in that Thomas realizes that that isn't even John's problem. (laughs) And that John's problem, really, he believes he doesn't deserve love. That he doesn't deserve it. Mm -hmm. So the emotional clockwork is about John learning to accept learning to accept who he is and himself and to um re- to recognize that even though he doesn't think he's lovable that he is in fact love love mm-hmm. and that and that Rodney and all this time that John's been kind of um unconsciously pining, you know, pining for McKay. Um, McKay's been returning the favor. <laughs> yeah. My favorite part, really, and I was on the fence about doing this, but I thought, you know what? Character-wise, there is only so long that Ronan would tolerate that bullshit before he told them both. <laughs> because, no. Taylor might try to make them work it out together and figure things out. That. That's not how Ronan works. In, Ronan in canon, that's in not how Ronan closet. works. And Ronan he'd have been like, in a very small closet. like, he'd have been like, okay, dude, he's in love with you, and guess what? He's in love with you, and then he would shove him into a room and walk away. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> so Ronan <laughs> tells them. Ronan tells Rodney that John's in love with him because he's tired of the bullshit. He's tired of John, you know, moping around the city with his pointy ears. (laughs) And he's tired of Rodney fucking his way through the population. He's just fed up with that bullshit. And he's going to do something about it. So he does. And, you know, it's, uh, it's about emotional maturity and the fact that neither Rodney or John have it. So that's what emotional clockwork's about. It's about um, yeah. building the tools that you need to um, develop emotional intelligence. And that's why I called it emotional clockwork. Uh, it's about... <laughs> oh, God. Echo. Now, now I've got a picture of Ronan with wings, a little heart-shaped bow and arrow, and that damn... Oh, wait, wait, I have it too. He's mostly no. naked. Hold on. <laughs> does, it, does anybody remember... Thanks, um, Echo. I you know, appreciate that. Actually, the, the one that I'm reminded of now, uh, actually the two, the, the picture of David Hewlett in that um, Cupid costume. You know, oh, yes. That, that's, oh, yes. Yes. Yes, with the with the ass, and then the the costume that um, uh, that Cupid had in forgive me Hercules, um, the guy who who went on to play Bones. He was um, uh, David. Yeah, yeah David. No. <laughs> David B. Baranz. Bones. No, oh, you. No, oh, no. oh, bones. Um, bones, bones. Star Trek bones. Carl Urban. Yes, Carl Urban, in and he was in Hercules apparently. Legendary Journeys, Xena, Warrior Princess Routine. As, yeah, we can't discuss as that. Cupid. 
No, I don't care he about can't. the. I don't care about the title character. He can go die in a fire. Um, he needs to die in a fire. Oh my god. Yes. Let's leave it. Look, we only got 25 minutes left. I don't have enough time to rant about that asshole. Yes. Um, but Oh, my but, fucking God. Yes, but remember Carl Urban and Cupid's costume. Think about uh, that. I can't because I didn't watch it. Okay, let me find it for you. Um, <laughs> uh, do you want to give the, the the part that she's asking for ever, ever so politely okay (laughs) um in minion headquarters there is a not so secret excerpt of an au where i mixed stargate atlantis and stargate sg1 with halo and halo is a video game with um what you call it uh Cyborgs, basically, and they're mm-hmm. uh, they have uh, machine uh, machine implants and stuff. And so I took that original um, idea and kind of tweaked it a little bit and made my own um, AU. Well, hello, <laughs> <laughs> hello, Carl. <laughs> Look at you. <laughs> That's adorable. <laughs> And um, it's called The Spartan Chronicles, and the first, there's an excerpt from A Pale Horse. Okay, there's several excerpts from A Pale Horse um, up on Minion Headquarters for you to look at, uh, and uh, among them is A Pale Horse. And um, it's, uh, basically it's, um, what it boils down to is uh, the, the summary is basically that every story has a beginning, and this is the beginning, and this is how um, Rodney meets his sentinel. And McKay is a no, scientist. No, Rodney's working. Ah, uh, his Spartan. Yeah. Spartan. He meets his Spartan. Anyway, John's a Spartan. He's coming out of the program, and he's um, uh, one of the first officers to be a Spartan because they're usually um, – Enlisted. Non-commissioned. Enlisted or non-commissioned mm-hmm. officers. Um, and John comes out of the program, and Rodney is the, the developer of the armor that John's wearing. And he he wants John, but he makes John choose uh, based on compatibility, and they end up together. And it's awesome. It is very awesome. Uh, it's, a, it's, it's, it's basically, it's about... John and Rodney coming together yet again in a different way. And, and this is a John who is raised in, in the future. This is set in the 2200s. And um, there's been several conflicts, uh, both from the SG-1 universe and from the Halo universe. And so there's lots of mixing of alien species and, and technology. And um, putting the technology from Halo into SG-1 was surprisingly and crazily easy because they Mm -hmm. both have this concept of an ancient race who left technology behind. 
So it was really amazing when I got started thinking about it and trying to push them together. Sometimes when you push two concepts together, it's, it's kind of hard to, to mesh them and you have to let, think, let things go. But with this, I didn't have to let anything go. And it was actually easier to, put, to kind of push it together and then expand on, on what I left behind. And I also, uh, there is a... Uh, it, there's another game I play in um, Do Sex. What's it called, Do Sex? Oh, something like that. Anyway, it's got behavior modifications in it uh, and um, biological modifications too. And I pulled that from the game to make um, bio mods that both the engineers and the Spartans have. And each Spartan is basically a war machine. They are designed for war, and they have an engineer that uh, they're connected to through technology um, and through implants to keep them human. It's a symbiotic I did this basically to, right, I did this to play on the relationship of the, Spart- of the Sentinel and the Guide. So basically a Spartan and an engineer. Now in, they're tethered, yes. In Halo, that's not how that works. Um, Halo, you, a Spartan's a Spartan is a Spartan, and they don't need anybody but themselves, basically, uh, or their team. Um, and Spartans are raised together um, as children, and they're and they and they were experimented and modified by um, um, without permission. So they were basically kidnapped as children and raised as soldiers, and but that's not how that happens in Stargate. Um, uh, it's mentioned what happened that it, is, it It did happen in the past, yes. So I kept that part of Halo's past. But John's a volunteer, and, and he volunteered as an adult. Now, if you have Netflix, you can actually watch some Halo movies to um, to give you um, some kind to um, to give you some feedback, to some background on 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 the Halos. Um, but if you don't and you don't play the game, and you're worried that you won't be able to keep up, don't worry about it, because anything that you need to know that I pulled from Halo will be in the AU when I write it. So you don't need to have any knowledge coming into it. But if you do, it's cool. It's not required. So. <clears throat> but, yeah, there are actually a whole bunch of um, Halo stuff on um on Netflix uh, for you to check out. You can also go to YouTube, and um, there's stuff on YouTube as well about Halo. You can watch some gameplay and um, just to see how the Spartan looks and moves in the game. If you put in a Halo, Halo Reach, you get a really good um, overview of, of, of how it works. And when I post, I'll probably include some videos so you can see what I... Spartan looks like in the field and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So it'll be cool. It'll be very mm-hmm. cool. Let's see. What are some of the other ones that you've got? One of the, the overriding themes that I've seen with your stuff and with John Shepard in your universes is he never stays the two-dimensional character that actually he wasn't even two-dimensional in 
Cannon, he was a sheet of paper that they barely sketched anything into. Um, he was very, very shallowly done. And no matter how hard um, anybody else tried to help and make him a deeper character, the powers that he didn't want it. Um, Sybil's asking about human nature. Human nature is actually my most popular um, download as far as ebooks go. Gets a lot of hits. <clears throat> Human nature is my obligatory don't ask, don't tell fic. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. everybody has one, right? When you write in Stargate, everybody has a DADT fic. If you don't, it's just weird. you got to have one. <laughs> mm, I'm pretty sure I'm weird. <laughs> you got to have one. I mean, because that's just like a fandom. You, well, you need one. You need to write one. It's a fandom staple. Mm-hmm. Anyway, anyway, yes, I bash the hell out of Keller because it's my favorite thing to do. Um, human nature, I, uh, I don't even know where the idea came from, but my favorite part is um, Jack's eyebrow trash talk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just because he talks with his eyebrows in canon as is, you know? <laughs> and And John's failure to secure his geek. And um, that uh-huh. isn't Meow, that's um, Lady Holder's Kitty. Yes, one Letting of them. Letting himself be heard. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, so human nature is is my don't ask, don't tell thick. And uh, it's, the John in that is kind of wounded. He's wounded. He, um... He's having to deal with Don't Ask, Don't Tell being abolished, and Jack O'Neill being on Atlantis. Part of the reason he's wounded is there's a, a memorable line in there where um, he t- he looks at Lauren and says, did you ever get everything that you ever wanted just too late? Right, because John couldn't give up Atlantis. We couldn't have Rodney. And then when it became possible that he could have Rodney, Rodney was practically almost married. Yes. So some part of him wants to sabotage Rodney's relationship with Keller. He doesn't have to. She does it all on her own. Oh, but John starts it. Yeah, well. That's the kicker of inhuman nature, is that the first kind of bit of human nature you see is is John purposefully, if not, it, I don't think it's malicious, but he makes it clear to, to Rodney that Keller preferred him when he was mentally disabled. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, yeah. he, he sabotages. Rodney's relationship with Keller. He does. It's not malicious, but he does it because he wants but, McKay and she's in the way. But here's the other thing. The, 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 the thing with that, that whole scene is if Rodney had gone looking for the information all there. And yeah, it was. For all the fact that John 
said that, it wasn't like he was he was he was making it up out of whole cloth. This was no, no, no. It was, was true. There. It's and true, and that makes it, it worse. worse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was totally true, right? Yeah. She did prefer and, him when he was mentally damaged. Mm-hmm. And you know, with that damage, with that. Um, her ability to manipulate or or coddle or just get him to behave as well frankly as she wanted him to um, you know the 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 whole honestly, I think that's why um at least in canon uh took her to that damn symposium um, yeah, it's um. Human nature is is interesting because for all the fact that John drove that, that first spike of reality home, as soon as as things got precarious under Jennifer's feet, she sh- she she's the one who caused all the problems after that. Yeah, she lashed out yeah. because she's immature. Yes. Yeah. And that's what immature people do. And that's canon. Jennifer Keller mm-hmm. is a very immature young woman, and um, it's actually very easy to bash her with canon events. Mm-hmm. Not like and it wasn't you can scenario. turn her and make her do things that are fucked up, and it looks like it would be something she would do mm-hmm. because she's immature. Yep. Because it's 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 very easy to say, you know, this is. This is something that she thinks is a good idea at the time, and yet doesn't bother to think about, you know, why. You know, what what's going to be the fallout of this? So, yeah. Yeah, it's just um, bad writing. It was um, she was terribly structured and, and written. Mm-hmm. And Jules Stay is such a sweetheart. She's such a pretty lady, and I just really. They did a complete service um, to her character and to the actress because, you know, she she played a, a wonderfully complex and yet very crystal clear character as Kaylee on Firefly. I you agree. Know, her, I agree. Her, you know, <clears throat> and she came on to Atlantis um, and her character at the start of it was very bright-eyed and very, wow, I'm on an alien planet and look at all this neat stuff and, oh, this is really cool. And if they kept her there and they kept the, the wide-eyed, bushy-tailedness of it, if you will, with, you know, some slow seasoning of, you know, the experience that everybody else got, she would have been fine. And I don't think we all they would have did. hated her quite so much. They made yeah. her flighty and wishy-washy and judgmental. Mm-hmm. and um, manipulative. Yeah. So. Because yeah, I'm sorry. Definitely. I'm sorry that whole bullshit where Rodney saves her in that episode with the symposium thing, and she blurts out, I love you. Mm. Oh, God. Uh, that was the most manipulative b- bullshit I've ever seen on TV. 
Except you know, for, you know, uh, when I watch Scandal, but, you know, same difference. Yes, but the thing is, is on Scandal, you knew what you were getting into. Um, the, the, was it you who had one, or was it somebody else who had one where Keller is a plant for um, the NID or the trust? It wasn't me, but I would totally oh, write that. You know, honestly, I think it was, an, I think it was a rough trade. Um, but the the whole... There's actually a really good one where this is um, post-season um, finale, and mm-hmm. they're going to steal Atlantis, and Keller goes home, and they don't tell her they're going to steal Atlantis because they realize what she is, and they leave. And then Keller, mm-hmm. the doorbell rings, and Keller's at her dad's house, and she opens the door, mm-hmm. and there's a an NID agent letting her know that Atlantis has left Earth. And her last thought in that story is that she's going to die because they're going to kill her. Mm-hmm. Because she yeah. was a crush plant, an NID plant, whatever. Mm-hmm. A spy. Yeah, because there's, that, there's That's an interesting much. idea, but I have a hard time conceptualizing. Um, see, Jewel, Jewel State, I can see her playing, some, playing a spy, I can't see Jennifer Keller being a spy. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's why mm-hmm. I can write um, Keller a variety of ways, even though I prefer to bash her, because Jewel State's awesome. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the story is called, Shamara. I'm sorry I yeah. brought it up, because I can't, um, I don't remember. But it's definitely post-canon. Um, it was written by somebody pretty popular in the fandom, because I don't stray too much into I think it was on AO3. Sounds like it. It, it. I think I remember reading it, too. It was very... Um, Willow, are you there here? There wasn't much... <laughs> <laughs> Willow. Oh, Willow. Willow's here. Willow. Willow. We'll bring it up in chat and, and ask Willow to... to Dances with Gary, somebody... are you available? You know what's awesome? Dances with Gary. Yeah. You can... You get on SGA story finders and you can't find something, and you put it nine times out of ten, Dances with Gary is going to have your answer. Oh, Boom. Yeah. Right away. I don't want to know what database that woman has. Oh, Willow is really really don't. That's terrible. Yeah. Um, well, it's really interesting with that story. Is that the only part I remember? Huh. That's the only part I remember is the end where Jennifer Keller gets exposed as a spy. Ah, uh, let's see. What other ones that can we touch on real quick, given that we don't have much time left? Um, the Invisible Repercussions. I wrote that. I was so mad. I had actually... Yeah? Listen to. I've actually watched a documentary called The Invisible Repercussions, something uh-huh. Invisible War, The Invisible War. Yep. Was, it, was, was yep. that it? And it's about rape so. in the military and, and how it's mm-hmm. pushed under the rug and ignored. And mm-hmm. I thought to myself, how would um, – yeah, her husband's name is Gary – that's why she mm-hmm. dances with Gary. Um, so 
I'd watched this documentary and I was so furious. I was I was so mad and I I thought to myself, how would that situation play out on Atlantis and what would John do if the people on Earth decided to overlook such a crime amongst his people and I sort of channeled the John from the storm episode, and I thought to myself, you know what, that motherfucker mm-hmm. is getting off Atlantis alive. And so I let John kill him. It's a dark, dark short story, and it's, um, uh, there's no, did Willow find it? Oh, no, that's the one where Lauren kills um, Keller. I love that one. <laughs> I love the mm-hmm. one where Lauren kills Keller. It's amazing. But, okay, so in The Invisible Repercussions, I, um, it's a play on The Invisible War, obviously, from the, from the um, documentary, in that his crime against Laura Cadman is going to be invisible, and so John made his death invisible. Mm-hmm. Because no one's ever going to find him. And no one is ever going to ask John if he killed somebody under his command. Not with how rabbit he is to protect them. And even though people in the city are probably going to figure out what happened to this asshole, no one's going to say, mm-hmm. oh, we don't know where he went. He must have snuck through the Stargate. <laughs> so while John's faking, faking, um, so while Rodney, so John's killing this guy, and Rodney is faking sensor data to put John somewhere else while this guy's dying, and probably there's somebody in the gate room faking a um, unauthorized gate off <laughs> to see, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just in case there's a question later. Oh no, he must have went through the gate <laughs> because uh-huh. this asshole needed killing, and John was more than willing to do it, and um, yep. So and, and and the John in this in this story is um, he's black and white and 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 I really like to write him that way um, where it's you're either with me or you're against me yeah. and yeah. you don't get to decide which one you are. <laughs> John decides. John decides whether or not you're with him or you're against him. You don't get to make that um, declaration. No. So this, John decides if you're a friend or an enemy, and um, this guy became the enemy. This particular John reminds me a lot of what might have been John with with the other right under the surface. Oh this yeah, guy the has, other. This guy has has moved outside of his. He's no longer his nest. He's no longer his tribe, his clan, his people. He's he's now a danger to all of them, and dangers like that have to be excised and that's what he did so but yeah, yeah. so that's John Shepard and I mm-hmm. I stayed on topic most of it didn't I I Lady Holder yeah. kept me on topic most of the night <laughs> isn't that amazing we're down to a minute two minutes two minutes fifty seconds and um, next week on my list is Rodney McKay um, I'm going to go through the same Stories, and I'm going to focus on Rodney instead. So, if you want to uh, rush up, I would read "Ties That Bind" because I think that the ties that bind Rodney will take up most of the radio show. 
Yes, I agree. <laughs> but write down the questions that you have about what you want to know and, and all. And, and yes. Hey. Ask questions about Rodney. You can. Um, I'll make a uh, a post on my live journal so you can ask questions. And um, we'll, talk, we'll we'll talk about Rodney. And um, and it's very cute. The show. Uh, but and it's very cute. But with the the um, cupid pictures. Can't forget the cupid pictures. And we're down to 60 seconds. I want to thank you guys for joining us. Um, and I want everybody to have a great, safe weekend. And Kaz, oh, I saw you, but then I got distracted. And then, okay, sorry that you listened all night and didn't get to talk, but I hope you had a good time at work. Or That's not, that's terrible. I hope work isn't too bad, Kaz. <laughs> and that I was at least a little bit entertaining during your terrible, terrible time at your job. Um, you guys have a good night. Bye, all. Shut up and sit down. Can't wait for summer? Old Navy's huge summer sale starts now. All jeans, all tees, all dresses, and all shorts are on sale up to 50% off. Jeans start at $15 for adults, $10 for kids. Shorts from $12 for adults, $7 for kids. Buy online and pick up in-store for free today. All jeans, tees, dresses, and shorts are on sale up to 50% off. Now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 5-6 to 5-12. Excludes in-store clearance. Active, licensed, men's packaged, and flag tees.